Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This is the first of three episodes where I talk about the production and characteristics of yarn. It's at this point that we make the leap that ancient hominids made so long ago. Uh, Once we've identified a natural material or we've synthesized a material that can be used for textiles, the next step usually is to spin the fibers that we found into yarns. So in fact, in the ancient fossil record, we can see where hominids twisted grass leaves, for example, stems of grasses together, uh, depending on the fibers in those stems to form a a very primitive type of yarn. And then we can also see in um, the archaeological record and, of course, in the worship of uh, especially goddesses who were responsible for spinning uh, this, uh, the importance of this step of taking fibers and making them into yarns. In fact, uh, when Physiologists did a reconstruction project with the Venus de Milo. They looked at the carved shape of the muscles in her shoulders and the angle of her arms, and they used it to recreate 3D printed lightweight replacement arms. And based on the posture of her shoulders and the shape of the stumps, they discovered that in fact, what she was doing is spinning. Her posture was very much one of a woman holding what's called a distaff or a rod that has uh, fiber fluff on it. And then in the other hand, holding a yarn from which is suspended a spindle. Uh, You twist the spindle like a top and as the spindle falls towards the ground, you feed the yarn from the distaff in your one hand through the fingers of your other hand to spin it onto the spindle as it falls. Very likely this goddess who was not Venus but another goddess, potentially Athena, uh, had her arms ripped off because the yarn, the wool, and the spindle likely were made of gold. And so rather than try and untangle the golden fibers from her hands, they just took her hands. Uh, But it's very interesting to think about how important this particular step is. Uh, In uh, Mycenaean Greece, which was the time or era when the Trojan War was fought, uh, we had a similar balance or unbalance of spinners to weavers as we saw later in uh, cottage industries in Great Britain, for example. So roughly eight spinners were needed to keep one weaver busy. And in fact, this is part of the reason why when the first spinning frames, that's what we call the machines that do the spinning, when the spinning frames were invented, one such as the spinning jenny typically had eight spindles in a frame so that the frame could keep one weaver busy. So spinning is a very important step and it really marks the the border between uh, just talking about fibers and their properties and, and, you know, when they were invented and and, um, what they look like and now actually getting into making textiles. So in most cases, making yarn is the first step in making a textile. The definition of a yarn is a continuous strand of textile fibers in a form suitable for fabrication. And we needed a definition because, as you'll recall, when we discovered uh, extrusion 
and began to manufacture yarns of our own or fibers of our own, we discovered that these fibers, like the silk fiber, uh, their filaments are so long and so strong and sturdy that we don't need to actually spin them. We can use them straight from extrusion or straight from the silkworm's cocoon. So when we say continuous strand of textile fibers in a form suitable for fabrication, we're including in that definition, notice it doesn't mention anything about twisting or spinning, right? We're including in that definition those fibers that are already suitable for fabrication without twisting or spinning. So the yarn stage is a stage between the fiber stage and the fabric stage. Not every fabric is made from yarn. We'll talk about these, sometimes called non-yarn fabrics for what is, seems an obvious reason now. And of course we could take the same polymers that were extruded as fibers and extrude them as films instead of fibers. And the films are also a type of fabric, a uh, 2D planar material that can be folded into three-dimensional shapes. So we will discuss uh, both non-yarn fabrics and film-based fabrics later. But for now, let's focus on yarn production. We've I've mentioned chemical spinning and how we called it chemical spinning when we extruded the polymers to make filament fibers because uh, we had to add that term chemical because, of course, many mechanical spinning is the sort of spinning that, for example, Sleeping Beauty was doing on her spinning wheel when she pricked her finger on the spindle. Uh, I really think maybe she got like a splinter in her finger. I'm just not sure exactly what the author of that story was thinking. I think it may have been sort of Freudian symbolism or something. At any rate, uh, mechanical spinning uh, can involve a spindle, this top that the Athena de Milo was dropping, or perhaps a spinning wheel like Sleeping Beauty was using before she got so tired. So uh, mechanical spinning takes uh, staple length fibers, so all natural fibers except for silk, silk that's been chopped up and formed into uh, short lengths or any synthetic uh, fibers or manufactured fibers that are cut into short staple lengths. So in mechanical spinning, the first step is called opening, and this involves opening barrels of filament toe or bales of, of uh, cleaned wool or bales of cotton that have been ginned, right, or um, bales, so you hear me talk a lot about bales. Um, bales are packed under pressure, they're squeezed so tight uh, because we, we want to get a ton of them on a ship, like literally a ton. Um, it turns out that uh, what matters on ships isn't the weight, what matters on ships is the size, right? And so if we can squeeze all that cotton or all that wool uh, down into a very, very small size, take something as big as a truck and flatten it out to be as big as a dictionary in, in height, then we can fit quite a lot more of it in there. Uh, we'll end up with a stack that's so heavy that it's just right it's it's very heavy to lift but uh, it was uh, didn't take up that much space so we have to actually let those fibers bounce back from being squeezed down so tightly and this is a stage where we'll actually also clean them so we kind of fluff them bounce them on wire mesh uh, the wire mesh will allow little rocks or twigs or leaves or anything else that might have gotten trapped in the bale to fall through and then we'll begin pushing them through using conveyor belts, pulling them, bouncing them through uh, machines that 
make the fibers parallel. So this is where we do the carding and the combing. Uh, carding always happens just to get it started and then combing, which is an optional next step, aligns the fibers further. So we have big, huge rollers with bristles on it that uh, serve to do the carding. Once we have the fibers somewhat parallel, they're still on a pretty wide, you know, a couple feet wide conveyor belt, right? Um, but uh, once we have that, we begin to reduce them and do something called drawing. Oh, we've met drawing before when we drew or uh, drawed the filaments. Notice how we keep reusing words in manufacturing. So drawing was a thing we were doing in spinning first. We would draw the fiber from the distaff, right? Like drawing a number out of a hat. Um, and then we just use that same word again, just like we just reused spinning. So uh, this can get a little confusing, uh, but it's, it's not the ancient people's fault. It's the modern people that didn't have the imagination to come up with different words. So we actually take what's a couple of feet wide and we begin to narrow it by pulling on the fibers a little bit so that they are spread out and uh, become a, a little bit narrower and longer. And we begin to form something called a sliver. So we would draw a sliver from a bundle of, of fiber on the distaff. And then the very next thing that we would do with the sliver and sliver is sort of spelt like sliver, but it's sliver, is we would twist it, right? And as we twist it, even a tiny bit, we form something called roving. And in fact, very likely on uh, Athena Demilo's distaff was roving, wrapped around the distaff. And then she could just spin the distaff or turn the distaff in one hand to unreal the roving that she was feeding to her spindle. Part of the reason why it would take eight spinners to keep one weaver busy, because you got to make the sliver and then make the roving and then spin it. So people who were doing spinning on spinning wheels, which is a, uh, I'm not going to say a popular hobby, but not an unreasonable hobby, uh, will card the fibers first and then begin to draw it. And then they'll twist it all. All of this is being done by hand into roving. Although you can buy a small, what's called a drum carter, a small little um, uh, uh, carding machine that you can run by hand with a crank. And only then is the yarn spun into the, the finished yarn. So we go from uh, sliver to roving to finished yarn. At this point, I am not going to spend a lot of time. You can find some great videos on YouTube uh, that, or on the internet, if we're not uh, biased against a particular Vimeo is great too. Uh, you can find some examples of some of the different types of spinning machines. Um, and so I'm only going to mention two really quickly and only to discuss the quality implications. Ring spinning is the older form of spinning. It's called ring spinning because it has a, a ring around the spindle that the uh, roving actually passes over and it helps to increase the twist and uh, the ring uh, called a traveler moves up and down the spindle uh, dispensing the spun yarn onto the spindle in the right spot. Uh, the Another... Um, type is called open-ended or rotor and it has much lower quality yarns than the ring spun yarn. Ring spun yarn are very uniform and fine and in part it's because they're rubbing against that ring which is is further drawing them as they're being spun. The open-end rotor skips that step and uses a vortex to twist 
And uh, so the spindle is in a slightly different orientation and the spindle itself moves instead of the ring, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the, so it's faster, but the fewer moving parts and takes up less space, but you end up with slightly thicker yarns. And so this is one element of quality built into uh, textiles that consumers don't know anything about and will never see. Occasionally you'll see a product, especially uh, I've seen this with, for example, denim produced in Japan, where they'll mention that the yarns are ring spun. And so obviously they have a customer base. Well, uh, they have home economics in, in Japan. So people are learning about uh, textiles uh, in school and uh, they teach textiles in school because they uh, still respect their textile traditions there. And so you could use a claim like that on a product and have consumers know what you mean or be interested enough to find out what you mean but uh, so these are just the two that I'll mention and and of course all this contrasts with chemical spinning that involves extruding fibers from a spinneret and just to just to be clear about that all right so spun yarns are different than filament yarns filament yarns are just several filaments gathered together or maybe even just one filament We'll learn a little bit about them in a minute. But spun yarns are made from sh short staple length fibers that have been twisted together. These fibers had to have cohesion or they wouldn't stay stuck together. So this was one of the first things that people were learning as they were twisting fibers to see if they would stick. If you look at a yarn under a pick glass, which is what we call the magnifying glass that we use to look at textiles. The pit glass will have a, a little base that has a, a one inch square window in it so we can count all the yarns in a, in a square inch. And uh, the glass is designed to be placed right up against the eye like a pair of glasses so or like a jeweler's loop. So you would lean right over the textile. But you could also just hold that glass up against your eye and hold a yarn in front of it and use it to look at the yarn. And so if you look at the yarn under a pit glass and uh, pick is a is a type of yarn, so we'll learn about that later. But that's why it's called a pick glass. Um, the pick glass, you can see that the surface of the yarn is a little bit fuzzy because the short ends of the staple fibers stick out. The fibers can fall out of the yarn, which is what gives you lint in the dryer. And if the fibers pull out of the yarn, yarn and form a little ball, that's what gives you pilling. Right. So spun yarns will have pilling and they will produce lint. Uh, they have a dull matte appearance because of all of those uh, little protruding fiber ends, but they're very absorbent because all of those little fiber ends kind of serve as straws that suck fiber into the surface of the fabric. They're going to be bulkier than fabrics made from filament yarns. And as I said before, they need cohesion, which is what helps keep the twist. We'll learn all about twist in another episode. They also have to be strong enough, long enough, and pliable enough to form yarns. Filament yarns, on the other hand, are just one long continuous filament. And uh, this is where I want to introduce a really cool idea. And we didn't really, I think we knew about this, but I don't think we thought about the contrast as much until we started to have options. So one of the things that happens with cohesion, with spinning, is that we actually get like a strength multiplier. So when we twist the yarns together, the yarns gripping themselves, it kind of like adds to the, to the, the material. So when we make, for example, a rope, that rope is going to be stronger 
all those fibers twisted together, even a bit to activate the cohesion, than if we actually just had each of those fibers separately. So we could measure the tenacity, which is the resistance to a pulling force. We could measure the tenacity for 10 fibers and say, oh, that has a modulus of one, that has a modulus of one, that has a modulus of one, right? Each of them are one. We twist them together and we had 10 of them, we'd be like, oh, well, that should be a modulus of 10. And then we're like, whoa, it's a modulus of 15. And now we have a little factor that tells us something about the cohesion of that particular fiber that we've added to its strength. And the same way that like you could try tearing one piece of paper, you could tear two pieces of paper, but suddenly you're having trouble tearing four pieces of paper. Like what's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper, but there's cohesion. Now with filament yarns, because we don't have any twist and we're not depending on any cohesion and the fibers, the extruded fibers have no surface characteristics uh, or, or very few surface characteristics that would create cohesion, we actually can just say, oh, that fiber had a, had a modulus of two, that one had a modulus of two, we put four of them together and now we have a fiber with a modulus of eight. The strength of the yarn is the strength of the fibers added together. And that's uh, something that is different between filament yarns and spun yarns. But you'll notice I doubled the modulus for the filaments because uh, this can work oftentimes because the manufactured fibers, especially synthetic fibers, do start out stronger anyway. But that's why we can use uh, staple length fibers uh, to make products out of. This is a little part of the reason why fibers that have low strength, for example, regenerated cellulose fibers like rayon, are especially suspect if they're used in their filament form, right? Definitely be worried about the strength of them in that form because there's no cohesion that's been added in. Now with filament yarns, we can just use one filament. So think of like uh, the filament in a weed whacker, right? Or a fishing line, right? Uh, it's called a monofilament. And it's just, it's just big enough to be woven with or, or used in sewing. Multi-filament fibers, uh, yarns on the other hand, are made from several filaments together. So we can quickly manufacture this yarn almost right after we extrude it, right? If we're not cutting it up into toe, we can just go on in the factory right there and pull it over and, and make it into a, a yarn. Um, if we give any twist to it, it would only be a bit just to keep it bunched together. When you look at a yarn under a pick glass, you'll see if, if it has no protruding fiber ends, is very smooth, then you're going to be looking at a filament yarn. Now, I'll explain in a minute a little trick we can play with something called texturization that kind of can trick you. But if you see that it's very smooth and has no protruding ends, then you know it's not a spun yarn. This isn't going to lint or pill, and it's going to shed soil pretty easily, like dirt and stains and things unless it's oil because the fibers oleophilic won't be stuck in the tangled in the surface of the fibers and having all those little protruding fibers can be helpful right it can it can uh, trap things right uh, we see it as being very good for filters for particles and even for viruses and bacteria the multifilament yarns can also be texturized, which gives the yarn a crimp. Uh, and so you might have to look pretty closely to see whether or not the yarn actually has protruding ends because it can be very matte. It can be, uh, it can feel uh, uh, like it has a rough hand. It can really fool you into thinking it's a spun yarn. But when you actually start to pull the yarn apart, you discover that every single fiber in that yarn is long, the same length as the yarn. And that's what tells you that in the end you're looking at a 
uh, filament yarn, even if it's been texturized. Uh, we do this texturization because we want to make something have some of the properties that, that uh, spun yarns get, right? There's a little bit more space inside the yarn for moisture and air, which can make it warmer and a bit more comfortable. But at the same time, we don't have to worry about pilling, and we have the strength and elasticity created by having those really long filaments with their really long polymers. That's the introduction to yarns. Uh, next, we're going to move on to discuss some other characteristics of yarns besides just whether or not they were spun.